All right, Colossians chapter 2. Good morning, everybody. And I hope you came full of excitement and anticipation for what God's going to do today in His Word. And uh, Carla, is the food pretty good back there? It is. Yeah, it looks pretty good. So, absolutely. The late Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, the believer who masters this chapter, Colossians 2, that is, is not likely to be led astray by some alluring and enticing new and improved brand of Christianity. So what we have here in Colossians chapter 2 is we're going to see very clearly, we're going to see the lies and tactics of Satan exposed. And you need to see these things. I need to see these things. God is going to, if you will embrace these things, God is going to give you a tremendous advantage in spiritual warfare. Because God is going to bring you into the film room of Satan's playbook. And you can't afford to miss that. And one of the lies of Satan, where it was exposed last week, we looked at it in verse 3 of Colossians chapter 2, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Those treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid or found in Christ. But Satan is very crafty, is he not? He has deceived many, including some believers, that that's not the case. That all treasures of knowledge and wisdom are in fact not found. There are some, yes, but not all. This is one of his lies. And we get the effectiveness of that with the loss, but Satan uses... With believers, one of the tools that he uses in his arsenal is the tool of human scholarship. And he uses that tool very effectively within Christianity. It's one of his tools. Because there is no shortage of scholars who hold the position that says, unless you have studied Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, you really can't fully know God's word for yourself. Now, you can know some of it. There are a few things that you can glean and, and you can get salvation. But after that, you got no shot. Unless, like us, you have put the time in to learn the original languages that the Bible was translated from. And because they love you so much. Uh, they are more than willing to save you lots of time and money to close that gap. And all you have to do is buy their version of the Bible that they have edited to give you what God, unfortunately, was unable to preserve. Oh boy, that's Gnosticism at its finest. Absolutely. What God does for us here in Colossians 2 is revealed to us how Satan's attack, listen, has not altered at all since Genesis chapter 3. It has, he has not changed his tactics, his approach, his schemes, his games. He attacks the believer exactly the way he attacked the believer in the Garden of Eden. And you're going to see this unfold very clearly. With that said, we're going to look at four things that we have to remember in these last days, at least four. There are more, obviously, 
But as it pertains to this, withstanding in the last days, if you're going to withstand, these are four things that you had better remember. Beginning in verse 4, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order. And the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, as we stated, Satan's attack against the church at Colossae and the surrounding churches was and is very consistent with what he did in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. You have it in your notes. Genesis 3 verse 4 says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. Underline this next word, knowing good and evil. Knowing good and evil. It is far from innocent that the first mention of the word knowing in your Bible is found right here in Genesis 3, 5, and it was uttered by none other than the serpent himself. That is anything but an incident. Eve was enticed with the idea, listen very carefully, she was enticed with the idea of possessing some type of secret or higher knowledge. That is how he enticed her. Boy, that is Gnosticism. (laughs) The heresy that showed up at the doorstep of the church at Colossae was anything but new. It was right from the Garden of Eden because they too were being tempted with knowing something that the rest of humanity unfortunately could never get except they come to these Gnostics. We've got some secret higher knowledge. There's something that you can know that you can never know except you come to us. Boy, that's Satan. Colossians or Genesis 3.13 And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So what we have here in Genesis 3 is the foundation of Gnosticism and all heresy. Name the cult, and it'll it'll come right back to Genesis chapter 3. Name the cult. I don't care. Name it. Islam. Uh, Mormonism, we can go on and on, mysticism, Buddhism, it all comes right back to Genesis chapter 3. Because it is, once again, anything but a coincidence, the first mention of knowing and beguiled are both found right here in Genesis chapter 3. What Eve was saying when she said, the serpent beguiled me, she was saying, the serpent led me astray. That's what she was saying. This is Paul's concern for the Colossians. Remember what he said in chapter 1, verse 23? And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Again, Genesis chapter 3. 
If we're going to withstand in these last days, we must remember the importance of vigilance. That is our first key point today. We must remember the importance of vigilance. We know that to be vigilant simply means to be watchful. And we have to remember this because this is very critical. If you have not reconciled this, I beg that you do so right now in this moment. Every believer must reconcile that they are the object of Satan's desires. Have you reconciled that? You are the object of his desires. You are. He wants you. He desires you. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said to Simon Peter? Luke twenty two thirty one, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. Satan wants you, Simon, Simon. He desires you. That he may sift you as wheat. To sift is simply to agitate. Which means to stir violently. Satan's desires, his interest in you, his, desire, his desires for you, they are anything but kind. They are malicious. They are. The goal of that violent stirring is to, listen, is to wipe you out spiritually. It is to totally wreck your faith. It is to strip you of any faith in God, any faith in God's word. It is to wipe you out. So when the dust clears on that sifting, you're saying, God, I'm done with you and I'm done with your word. That's his goal. That's what he desires. So knowing that, knowing that, why would you not be vigilant? Why would you not be watchful? Why wouldn't you be? Hey, listen, you're all wearing masks this morning. You know why you're wearing masks? Because you are aware of the fact that there is a real virus in the world right now. And it is wise for you to wear a mask. I agree with that. Okay, there is an adversary who desires you. And he takes no days off. If you do, you're rolling the dice. You do, okay? I'll never forget this, <laughs> and I'm not proud of it. At the time I was, I'm not now. <laughs> but we had this kid who, who, had, who had, he was new to our school, and I think the kid was from Sweden or something like that. And I think when he heard about football, I think he was thinking soccer. And he, he learned uh, rather um, uncomfortably that it, that's, it wasn't soccer. <laughs> And the kid was, he was tall. The kid was about, I don't know, I think I was a freshman or a sophomore. But this kid was about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and he was as thin as a pole. So they line him up at tight end. And so he's down in a, in a, in a three-point stance. And on the, the, the defense that we were playing, the coach had me on a, on a corner blitz. So when you come on a blitz, you're like a missile, a heat-seeking missile where you're taught, you destroy, you run through anything that is in front of you, no matter what. So this kid, poor kid, 
the ball is snapped, he is lost. And he begins to come out of his stance and like, I mean, he stood between me and the quarterback and I ran through him and laid him out and the kid was lying on his back looking up like, where am I? What have I done? Right? And of course, the team goes crazy and I'm, yeah, that's right, you know, and you know, and here, here's my point. My point is, is there are no days off. The, the, the fact that in spiritual warfare, the fact that you're not ready, the fact that you didn't feel like reading your Bible today, the fact that you didn't feel like praying, the fact that you didn't feel like walking in the Spirit, does not mean that, oh, oh, Satan, no, you're not ready today. I'll tell you what, I'll come back in a week. I'll give you a week to get ready. That's not how this works. Alan Shelby said it well many years ago, the devil doesn't fight fair. You better know that. Man, he will do anything to have you. You better be vigilant. And Paul was clear on what we should watch for, verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Enticing words are words of persuasion. Words of persuasion. And that should tell us a lot. Whenever we persuade someone, we are convincing them to take a position that they have not previously held. This is what we're doing. This is what salesmen do, right, Jeff? Right? In other words, when you come and you step on the lot, my goal is by the time we're done is that you're pulling out your wallet and signing on a piece of paper somewhere. Right? Okay. And that's not all bad. Not all bad, but it can be, depending on the person, right? But this phrase, enticing words, is only used twice in Scripture, and neither time is good. The other time you see it is found in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 4, it says, and 5, it says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Enticing words are not God's words. They're not. They're man's words. And they are for man. So that man looks impressive and looks sharp and all of that stuff. And it's easy for us to associate those things with what we call false religion. But be not mistaken. (laughs) There are shallow churches all over this land that shower people with enticing words. They shower them with it. This is teaching that is tailored to what people want to hear in hopes that they will join that church and, guess what, pull out their wallet. There's nothing new under the sun. Satan's tactics have not changed. Consider 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. That time is here. That time is here. Amen. That time has arrived where professing believers seek and choose churches, where teachers will scratch their itching ears. There's something I want to hear, and there are some things I don't want to hear. 
Can I tell you just from a, a just a, a strictly a, a pastoral perspective, what concerns me the most today about the spiritual landscape in our country is not what's being taught in churches, is what's not being taught. I'm telling you, I know this firsthand, pastors, there are many pastors who spend a lot of time going through scripture and avoiding certain verses and topics. Won't go there. Nope, that will offend people. That'll be too hard to hear. That's too strong. We might lose people if we say that. Well, we can't do that. And this is why you have churches full of people who would openly identify themselves as gay Christians. Book, chapter, verse, please. Whatever personal conviction or interest you have, there is a church that will gladly accommodate that for you. Whatever it is. Doesn't matter if it's biblical or not. There's a movement right now. And it has been gaining momentum. Some of you may be familiar with it, but it is referred to as black Judaism. It is referred to as the black Hebrew movement. At the heart of this movement is the belief that the 12 tribes of Israel were people of color. And what you need to know is, is there are different sects under this umbrella, and some of them are very extreme. Some of them are very racist, and some of them are even violent. You need to know this. So guess what? If you had enough of the social injustices that are happening in our country right now, they'll be glad to meet with you. Uh, they'll be glad to help you contextualize all that. Uh, they'll be glad, listen, to persuade you on how you need to view and deal with all that. Here's what's interesting. <laughs> There's another group, a white supremacy group, called the Christian Identity. And guess what? They too claim to be from the 12 tribes of Israel. My point is this. Whatever you're looking for, Satan will gladly help you. Whatever you want to hear, the devil's got it for you. He does. And listen, if you do not possess a burden for the truth with enticing words, Satan will lead you into a spiritual landfill. Amen. If you don't have a burden for the truth, are you being vigilant? You better be. I better be. Verse 5. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul was burdened for them and he was burdened to be with them at some point. He declared that he was with them in the spirit. Now for me, that at a high level, that does raise a question. Was Paul saying that he was with them in the Holy Spirit? Or was he saying that he was with them in spirit? That, that's a question for me. He made a very similar statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where he said that he was absent in body but present 
in spirit. But he didn't say present in the spirit. He said present in spirit. Here he says the spirit. So it would seem that in Colossians 2.5 he was referring to the Holy Spirit. But if that is true, the question becomes, well, why is spirit not capitalized? Or the, or the S in spirit not uppercase? I'm not sure. I don't know at this point. Is that okay? I don't know. I do know this, though. I know it's not an error. And I'm going to tell you, there, you know, there are historians and scholars who just change it. To say, well, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And they're very definitive, so they'll just change. The, they just capitalize the S and... Okay, here's what you need to know. There are no errors in your King James Bible. Amen. Do you understand that the King James translators scrutinized every passage in that book at least 14 times? Every passage. In case you're wondering, the NIV translators scrutinize every passage three times. So it's not a mistake. I'm just not brilliant. <laughs> I'm sure it's right in front of me. What was the point, obviously, though, was that Paul was not with them physically, but he was with them either in spirit or the Holy Spirit. Either way, he was with them. But he also had a word of commendation for them. He said, join and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. On this word, order, in meaning, it is military in scope. It has in view a fixed succession of rank. So think, think, think about a, a squadron or a, a unit of soldiers, and they are lined up and ordered and structured. This is what he has in mind in terms of order, and he was commending them for that because although they were under attack of heretical doctrine, they were being steadfast. They were holding their position on truth. Just like a military unit under fire, but they are holding their place. They are fixed in their position. They're not moving. This is where he's going. What this tells us is these believers were submitted structurally, and they were holding to truth. At this point, in these last days, brothers and sisters, we must remember the importance of discipline. We must. We must. One of the things, and I, again, sorry if you're like, okay, if you give us one more sports analogy, I'm going to pass out. I'm sorry. Hey, I, I, I didn't thrive academically. So I understood sports, and I could, I could give you a hundred analogies with that, right? But one of the things good coaches always teach you is that no matter what happens in the game, on the football field, on the basketball court, don't get away from the things that we've taught you. Everything that you're going to face, we have prepared you for. Don't compromise your technique. Remember the defense that we're in. Remember your assignment. No matter what, stick to it and we'll get through it. 
Okay, well, this, this, is, this is the same thing spiritually. We're under attack right now in these last of the last days. We're under fire. Hold your position. Stay disciplined. Paul told Timothy to endure hardness is what? A good soldier. Listen to how he described himself, Paul, and Epaphroditus, the messenger from the church of Philippi, Philippians 2.25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. But your messenger and he that ministered to my wants, soldiers get structure. They get order. They get discipline. They must, especially in battle. Because the success of any military unit or mission depends largely on those things. You, you have to know the structure. You have to know the order. And you've got to work within that in order for this to work. It cannot work any other way, especially in battle. I can't tell you how thankful I am just to be a pastor. And I honestly don't say that in a braggadocious way. I don't think that I'm great anything. I don't think I'm special or that God looked down and says, you know, I really need you to be a pastor. I, I, I just, it is, it, is the, it is one of the highest privileges Amen. and blessings from God. I, I don't even have words, okay? But I am as thankful to be one under and with Sam. And I always view it that way, in that order. I am under him and I am with him. But I'm under him first. And we have a very, very good relationship. uh, Both from a spiritual perspective in terms of co-laborers and ministry, but also on a personal level. And as imperfect as I am, uh, one of the reasons I believe that God has blessed our fellowship is because by God's grace and God's dealing with me from his word, God brought me to a place where I decided over a decade ago I was never going to war with Sam. Mm-hmm. By God's grace, I will never do it. I will never do it. Amen. And God has helped me to maintain that position. Is Sam perfect? Of course not. None of us are. We get that. Here's what it comes down to. God continues to teach me the importance and the value and the premium that God places on spiritual authority. God places an extremely high premium on that. He always has. He always does. He always will. Even within the Godhead Trinity. There is structure and order. You cannot miss that. Simply put, you cannot win with God through rebelling against those that he has placed over you in the Lord. You cannot. This is why you always want to know who God has placed over you in the Lord and agree with him on that. And you will win. Sam is over me in the Lord. And the fact that at times he is imperfect or I don't agree does not change that. For some, they say, well, I'll submit to Sam as long as he stays between the lines of Scripture. But the moment he gets out of bounds, I'm going to fill in the blank. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, I wonder what King David would say to that. 
Because there was someone who was over him by the name of King Saul, and he, without a doubt, was out of bounds. As a fact, he was a madman. But did David take the law into his own hands, and I'm going to straighten Saul out? David said, no, uh, that's not my job. That's actually, that's God's job. I'll let God deal with that. And God did. God placed Sam in the position that he is in, and God deals with Sam as he sees fit. That's not my role. Now, if Sam wants to know what I think from a constructive perspective, we have those conversations, and in those moments, I am extremely careful in my tone, my spirit, and my choice of words. In other words, anytime I communicate with Sam, I always communicate in a way that says, I recognize who I'm speaking to. As a rule, you always want to remember this. When you are communicating up, you always communicate carefully. You always do. When you communicate up, you communicate carefully. No disrespect to Rich whatsoever. But when I'm speaking to Sam, I'm not speaking to Rich. That's different. doesn't mean that Rich is less than Sam. It just means that their positions are not the same. Please hear this. Serious problems occur when believers step out of order and take matters into their own hands. Serious problems occur when we do that. Even if we are right in our position, God cannot place his blessing on our approach. Without a doubt, there is social injustice in this country. But rioting and shooting police officers in retaliation is not of God. Consider Romans 13, 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. That is disorderly. God is a God of order. And we all have to be so very careful here because the world whispers to all of us that, you know what, whenever you feel wronged, whenever you feel violated, whenever you feel like you're not being heard or respected, then you know what? You have the right to take matters into your own hands and behave any way you want to. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must understand that God does not agree with that. Amen. Ever. But the fact that Paul commended them on this tells us how important that is. He commended them for their order and steadfastness of the faith. And obviously, this is the only place to see it. Listen, 1 Corinthians 14, 40. Let all things be done. How? Decently and what? In order. In order. Please write this down. God is not pleased with disorder. God is not pleased Listen, when you watch the workings of God, when you see how God works and how God has worked, even the creation account, you know one of the observations that you walk away with? And this is why evolution is at best a fallacy. Because one of the things about God you learn is he is very orderly. He's very structured, very disciplined in his approach to whatever he does. 
There is a way that he does it. There is an order to it. There is a structure built within it. In creation, your body, <laughs> this is our God. And sadly, I don't know why, but some have the idea that when we come to church, church should just be this place that is just disordered. Where everybody just gets to do whatever they want, say whatever they want, think whatever they want, because it's all love. Well, yeah, it is love, but but everything is to be done decent and in order. Amen. There is a structure that we operate within. The believers at Corinth were having issues with behaving indecently and disorderly. And it was grievous to the Lord and grievous to the Apostle Paul. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 6. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh how? Disorderly. And not after the tradition which he received of us. Do you see the premium that God places on this? God says if you're going to behave, if you're going to walk disorderly, I can't, we can't even walk with you. This is God's word. This is the premium that God places on discipline, order. I want to give you this core principle. Whenever we break rank, we always break fellowship. When you break rank, you break fellowship. If you're walking disorderly, your fellowship with God and brothers and sisters in Christ is damaged. Amen. It's compromised. Ladies, I know your husband is not perfect. I know my wife's husband is not perfect. But God is a God of order. And when you break rank and you take matters into your own hands, where now, because you're upset or whatever it might be, and you're going to straighten him out, and you're going to talk to him like he's one of your kids, what you have to remember is you and your mind, you should remember this, you are speaking to God. Now, I know he's not that, and you're like, amen. Okay, I get that. But as far as you're concerned, because again, when you communicate up, how do you communicate? Carefully. There is a way to disagree. There is a way to express yourself, but there is a way that where you do it that says, God, I am mindful of your order. So I'm going to choose my words very carefully. Titus 1.5, Paul said, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in what? Order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. People had come to faith in Christ in Crete. Paul says, Titus, I'm going to leave you to set in order in these churches how things ought to be structure. There's a way to do that. So, in closing, I've never seen a time in the church where believers are being so enticed to step out of order Amen. and break rank. I've never seen like I'm seeing it now. With everything going in the world, some have not remained steadfast in the faith 
and have removed themselves from the structure of the local church for whatever reason. They don't like this. They don't agree with that. They're upset about this. They're upset about that. So guess what? I can now step out of order and do what I think is best. I don't care what God's word says, but what you don't understand is the moment you do that, you have lost with God. You have. Because he is never pleased with disorder. So in closing, let me ask, are you with God? Are you agreed on the importance of the structure of the local church? Lord, I want to thank you for what you've shown us here in Colossians 2 so far. God, help us to remember the importance of vigilance. And Lord, help us to remember the importance of discipline in these last days. If not, we will not stand against the wiles of the devil. In Jesus' name, amen.